2: Mobile banking requires
0: downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA member FDIC. Hey, gang, it's the Two Guys Garage podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. It's presented by CarParts.com. We thank him for it, man. Fired up today. We're diving in. We continue the series on the road to SEMA. And, man, I got to tell you, the road gets rougher every day. <laughs> Kevin, you've been there before. This is my first year of, of actually bringing a car to SEMA. And uh, man, I got to tell you what an, an anomaly this year is, and what a just a mountain of hurdles and headaches is causing for so many people. Uh, and I bet today is, you know, uh, an interesting conversation around some of those and, you know, where this industry is going now, you know, considering all this craziness in the world.
1: I know. I mean, you would think, uh, you know, we've had COVID, everybody's been kind of cooped up, uh, you know, and we know that every, almost every single person, company we've talked to all year long has had record sales like things are booming but we've hit this weird kind of moment where everyone's exploded they're they're out of their houses they're they're ready to go gangbusters and oops we used up all our supplies we can't get enough manpower you know we're still worried about covid you know it's just all these things coming together where you can't get parts paint can't get things done can't get raw materials uh, Bro, I was talking to
0: a supplier the other day who had wheels in on countryside. He was like, "Dude, they're in this country. They're in a shipping container and there's not enough people working to unload the 1000 2000 shipping containers that are sitting in a in a in a port right now. Um in California, they just nobody to unload it. So, you imagine all these builders going me included, right? I'm trying to get all these things buttoned up for my car because if it weren't for the last minute, nothing to get done. So, all these things for Sema and man, everybody's like, well, you know, it'd be great if I had those parts or it'd be great if I could get that to you. I just don't know where to get it right now. It's crazy.
1: I know. But it's not one thing, it's 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just a stack of, of hurdles and challenges and whatnot. And well, you know, we're on the road to SEMA. We're hopeful as hell. You know, we're rooting like crazy for Willie because he's building his first, <laughs> you know, personal SEMA build, wide body, 66 Challenger, Uh, it's going to be so badass but you know like i said we got these hurdles in the way but in the meantime you know we're reaching out to other friends uh that we know are you know top dogs in the industry man that you know typically have builds going to sema autorama you name it some big event somewhere uh and just kind of seeing what the world is like you know in their kind of neck of the woods and uh what kind of challenges hurdles or great things that are happening and uh One of the guys we wanted to touch base with uh man one of the most talented builders designers on the planet rob ida hey rob's got skills bro yeah man this guy absolutely (laughs) crushes it yeah and if you haven't you know seen or heard of rob you gotta get on you know instagram facebook whatever uh, Google them up and see some of the amazing builds. I mean, anything from Willys, Porsches, Tuckers, you know, random kind of crazy, car, unique yeah. stuff. Yeah, to everything in between. It could be a thirty-two Ford, you know, forty Merc. Uh, this guy has not only the skills to build it, but the eye for the design, and I think that combination is just a one-two punch. You know.
0: Yeah, man. Like I, I tend to lean towards doing everything as I, as I look, and that's ugly. Uh, he does everything very beautiful and elegant. And when I see his build, you know, there's definitely a key on design and how fluid everything is. Um, it's uh it is, man. He's he's an artist, and and I can't wait to. Uh, to talk to him and just pick his brain about where he thinks the industry is going, what he thinks SEMA is this year, uh, and, you know, what's new on his plate. So that's going to be cool as we tackle that road to SEMA and talk to some unique builders um, and their platforms. Uh, and, and, Bert, just as a guy in this automotive industry, you know, I do radio, you know, as my, my normal grind. Um, as an automotive guy in this world of, uh, you know, uh, the big three, are, are you guys having issues and problems getting supplies in i I know for ford is a big deal with the chip earlier are you guys still seeing that
1: you know that fatigue on on getting parts and pieces in oh man i mean i think everybody's heard of you know issues with like the new bronco the roofs other things from suppliers and the chip thing is killing the entire industry i mean it's a dogfight out there Uh, i think a lot of the chips you know are, are first layer managed by the suppliers they go in the you know computers and this and that, and the modules, and then they get to the to the OEs. So, I mean, it's happening at every layer. Uh, like I said, just a dogfight of who can get how many chips and get them into vehicles and how many they can sell because there's definitely a backlog of, of need and desire. But, whew, um, man, yeah. as far as the same kind of problems, uh, man, it's hitting the whole world over right now. Yeah, dude, I was trying to order appliances the other day because my house fired <laughs> to the yeah. point where I'm...
0: I'm to appliances And they're like Yeah you can't get a, a clothes washer Until you know Mid-October And I'm like Excuse me It's the It's the first of August <laughs> I don't have that many Clean underwear <laughs> Help Emergency row nine <laughs> Alright well look Let's take a break man Let's get into it All things with Rob Ida This is gonna be fantastic It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast He's Kevin Bird I'm the guy in dirty clothes Willie B Take a sniff It's the Two Guys Garage Podcast It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. is presented by carparts.com. Really, this is an easy thing to do. Check out their mobile experience, you guys. Simple. Hit up the site, right? If you know your year, make, and model, then you get parts for your car. It's just that easy. These parts drop right to your back door, your shop door, your front door, and they're backed up. They got an incredible guarantee. Uh, and man, these guys
1: are here for you. Just check them out and you'll see what we mean. Yeah. He ain't lying, man. We love these guys. Uh, you'll shop one time on carparts.com. You'll do it every time from then on out. So, Hey Rob, man, glad to have you on, man. Super cool to catch you. Uh, you know, I've caught you only a couple of times out there in the scene. Uh, I think the last time I saw you was maybe Brian Fuller's event out there in, uh, Jekyll Island, perhaps. Um, amazing stuff. You, you build just incredible rides. Uh, and, and for anybody that's not familiar You know, you can take a car and you can customize it. You can move a little bit of this or that around, you know, choose your paint color and make it look shiny. This guy, he can do anything. He can build from scratch, and that's a lot of what they do there. Uh, And that is such a powerful tool uh, because there's so many rides that that are kind of cool, they're iconic, they look great for what they were. uh, But when you can take that and turn it into something completely over the top, uh, it, it's just a win-win. And and Rob's one of those guys, um, he's just killing it. it. It doesn't matter if you're at SEMA, you're at Autorama, you're at Pebble Beach, right? You're probably Ooh, gonna run into Pebble Rob Beach. and some of the amazing things that uh, him and his crew, uh, and even your dad, are you second or third generation car builder? Uh, uh, third,
2: I'm uh, actually third generation. Uh, so uh, my, my grandfather, he started this whole thing in uh, back in 47. He became the, wow. uh, the Tucker dealership in New York. And um, so that was kind of like the entry to the Ida family in the automotive industry or in, in, in the marketplace. Um, so we all know the story about Tucker. You know, it didn't last long. So neither did his dealership. But, you know, the um, the connection to, to cars and to even to Tucker's really remained. So now, you know, I'm the third generation and um you know, we still kind of stick to you know a few things that 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 we love, and Tuckers are one of them. And um, shortly after the, the Tucker dealership, you know, closed, well, then my grandfather needed something else to do, so he started a repair shop and a and a gas station in Brooklyn and uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And he, um, you know, he started kind of just fixing cars, and then he invented the idea of maybe building rentable trailers you know like a like a u-haul or or rider something like that and he, he did that and um and that that took off for him but in that gas station in that little gas station my father started building drag race cars and hot rods and uh, so, yeah. yeah so that was in brooklyn and you know in the city and and in the 60s and um you know he built some some killer looking hot rods and some winning record-setting gassers you know old willies and and gassers so those things are really kind of like the core of what we still do you know and that's what we love
0: i got a question for you rob you said you know you're third generation car builder uh what is the coolest thing that you learned from your dad as a as a fellow gear wrencher and what's the worst thing you learned from your dad as a fellow wrencher (laughs) (laughs) good question
2: well so the the one thing that that really kind of like pointed me in a direction of yeah, I love hot rods. I love this is what I want to do. This is what I want to be, uh, you know, for the rest of my life. I, well, I made that decision when I was seven, you know, and I have to live with it. So, so when I was seven years old,
1: man, if I had to live with decisions I made at seven, oh my god! Yeah, yeah, imagine, yeah, yeah. Imagine, you know, at least you made a good one.
2: Well, I can't admit that I was wrong, so I have to stick with it. So I remember opening up a scrapbook and seeing uh, one of my father's old gassers. It was the Hemi Healey. Which um, you may know, it's a, it's an Austin Healy with this gigantic blown Hemi uh, hanging out of the hanging out of the hood. I saw that when I was seven years old, and it was just so powerful, and, and it caught me like that. And I said, "This is what we need to be doing." You know, forget about anything else. This is what I'm interested in. And so shortly after that, we took on a, a kind of a father and son hot rod project. We built a Willys with a, with a blown blown big block Chevy in it that was a street rod and th- this was in the 80s and um, you know, it was a 10 second street car you know and that really wasn't a big thing in the 80s that, you know that was a
0: yeah I mean, that was a rare yeah, bird man I was doing something
2: yeah it was uh-huh. yep. and that's what we were doing and uh, so it kind of just always stayed you know in that direction but you know I've always loved cars of all different types so yeah like he's into gassers and I love that and I get it and I and I try to know as much as I, as I can about the history of it but I'm not stuck there you know that's one thing I love in, in cars and then you name the genre I'm probably interested in it and there's, there's probably only a few areas of car building or the car culture that you know maybe i don't spend a lot of time studying. But otherwise, I, I, I like all types of cars and I appreciate builders and, and creative people. I like
1: performance as much as I like the aesthetic. That's why I like this guy. You're not fixated on one thing and that could be good in a sense because, you know, maybe you're just the pinnacle of that narrow gap there. But, you know, I'm so ADD on cars. I love them all the history, the style, the performance. And, and that's kind of why I think uh, you're know, one of my favorite guys out there because you're kinda in that right. same lineup. You're not right. fixated on any one particular thing. You're absorbing and recreating a little bit of all of it, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in I'm into everything from you know the most modern in technology and, and resources to, to make something to the most, you know, archaic and and whatever it takes in between to create the car that we want to create. Now, if we're building a you know a gasser, you know, we want that to be exactly what the guy who only knows what a gasser is going to love, you know. Some guys look at something like a gasser like a, as religion, and I want him to be able to look at the car that we do and see that and say, "Yeah, he nailed it. Every every nut and bolt is right. Everything is right on." But then we have to shift gears and look at a you know a custom, you know, custom that that looks like it was designed and built by you know George Barris and and or or Sam Barris. And look at that car and also say, yeah, they nailed it. And so we try to really not just hit every area lightly, but really do our research and and understand all these different genres of cars and whether it's a modern race car that's made out of carbon fiber or if it's a, you know, something that's just archaic and it's going to race it. At uh, you know, the race of gentlemen on the beach
0: is there a genre that you like to pull from most often for your flavor? Like, if if you had your cars to build, is there a certain era, uh, a few years that you think is the, is the pinnacle, or uh, do you believe in you know, and I, I think technology is great now, but as far as styling goes, cars suck, you know, new cars just suck, they all look the same, they all have the same crap. Um, uh, but older cars. Man, they took on certain characteristics when you looked at them. They they really did have a, a persona all of their own and and their builders, you know. You if you saw an Etsu coming at you, you knew exactly what it was, you know. Say so with some of right. these Yeah. Do you have a an era of cars that you prefer that it's not your dad influence, not your grandfather, but you? Yeah. Um yeah, yes and
2: no. All right. So I probably own more vintage cars than I do modern cars, um, but I get modern cars and I do love them too for what they are. And, and um, so my own personal car collection is a pretty wide range of, of cars. I mean, it's everything, you know, from the 20s to the, you know, to a brand new, you know, modern Porsche and, um, and everything in between. And, and, I, and I try to understand why they are what they are. What they're good for and what I like about them. And, you know, I I was sitting in my 46 Ford convertible, which is my almost daily driver on on good days. (laughs) Um, And it's my commuter car. And I was sitting at the stoplight, and and a guy pulls up in a pickup truck and he goes, Man, look at that thing. He goes, Cars suck now. I'm like, Well, they don't suck but they're not as cool you know like this car is super cool but it's probably gonna break down like in the next mile you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the thing you're driving may not be as cool but it probably is going to outperform this thing so every car every genre has got a different thing about it i mean the 80s were all about what you know emissions and and you know now cars are about modern conveniences in The 90s i think cars were biggest on safety um you know one of the things i love are Tuckers. But, you know, Preston Tucker, he, he kind of introduced to the American car performance and safety where nobody else was really thinking about that. They were thinking about price and, you know, high production. And um, so every kind of genre of cars or every generation of cars has, you know, a different highlight about them. So I try to understand that and I try to get it. And um, I think my problem is that I like all cars and I can't own them all. Yeah, that's know?
1: a terrible that's, problem to have. That's, that's, exactly oh, really yeah. that's yeah. a that's a good problem and a bad problem. Yeah. Well, hey man, talk us uh, a little bit about what you might be building uh, for Seymour or at least what's in your shop right now. I heard a little bit of Holman Moody referencing going on. Uh, give us some scoop, man. What's going on with this one?
2: This is a great project. So. This thing came on so fast that I didn't really get any time to prepare this build for for SEMA, although I think it's a perfect car to have there. Um, So Holman Moody, I mean, I think they're just the the coolest brand, you know, of that type of racing in in that time. Um, 1962, Ford Motor Company and Holman Moody, they get together and they build three cars that they called the Challenger. So this is before, you know, Mopar had Challenger as a brand or as a model. Um, and what they were, were Falcons. They were Ford Falcons. And um, they built Challenger 1, 2, and then the third car, Challenger 3, which is the one I'm restoring right now, was a 62 Falcon, chopped and channeled. So imagine the roof is lowered by three inches, but not only chopped, but a fastback roof. So the roof stretches from the windshield all the way back to the deck lid. So the deck lid and the roof itself are aluminum and the doors and the hood are also aluminum, all handmade by this guy named Luji Lovoski. And he did all the metal work on this car. He sectioned the car all the way down the center and made all these body panels. The car only weighs like 2,200 pounds done. And so we all know, you know, a Falcon is like this kind of, short, stubby body with a high roof on it. And um, how do you get that shape of a body or that proportion of a car to be competitive with Ferrari GTOs and Testarossas of the vintage of the early 60s? You know, the, Yeah,
1: think about that challenge. A Falcon going against a Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. You know,
2: like, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. Or Porsche, Porsche RSK, or at least notices these listers. Amazing to be able to make a passenger car, this high production passenger car, not a not a performance car by any means, now competitive, and than they actually were. So Challenger three really had a kind of a short racing history because the following year Ford then introduced the fastback Mustang, and that kind of shut down the uh, Holman Moody Challenger project. So this car is super cool. It it ran a small V8. It ran a Chevy uh, transmission, a T10 trans. A
0: Ford with a Chevy engine. I just want to point that out, Kevin. Did you hear that? A Ford, Ford yeah. Falcon, uh-huh. Chevy
1: small block. Ooh, yeah. ooh,
0: that had to sting right. a little bit. I'm not. We overlook
1: transmissions and even rear ends. All all the guys running Ford nine inches. You know, we'll let you borrow a few parts. That's okay. Uh, well, okay. you know, it's
2: not. It's it's still happening because if if you were to see the new Challenger. Right. They, the, the Dodge has out the Dodge Challenger <laughs> race car, the, the drag race car. That's like, I don't know, 2000 horsepower. That car has got a turbo 400 transit and it comes that way right from Dodge. So these things still happen, you know, um, <laughs> it's, it's not it's not unusual. But anyway, this car, this Challenger was um, it was pretty successful in the in the one time that it was raced. It, was, it didn't have a long race career. Because as I said, it got replaced pretty pretty quickly by the uh, by the um, fastback Mustang. So the client that I'm restoring this car for, Howard Proplick, um, out of uh, Long Island, New York, he also owns the Shorty Mustang. Are you familiar with that car? That was the the prototype car that Vince Gardner uh, clay modeled and they displayed the car on the, on the Ford custom car caravan along with this challenger three. Um, but then when Ford decided that they were going to destroy that prototype car, it was stolen by the designer
1: and, <laughs>
2: and, and, and for real. And, and it was gone for years and the car was, was uh, years later. I don't know how many years later, but it was then discovered and and brought back out. So now my client owns that car along with this challenger three. So just kind of a connection between wow. Those two things, yeah. So we're we're part way through the restoration of this car, and I didn't have enough time really to prepare uh, for SEMA. And I thought, well, this car would be excellent, you know, for SEMA. I think people would really enjoy seeing it. There's a lot to kind of be uh, learned here by this car, and uh, unfortunately, I'm a little late in the game, so I haven't found a home for it yet. But I'm still working on it. So you may see it there, maybe not.
0: I pulled it up online. It's a very interesting car from back in the day. It yeah. looks, it looks, um, it looks out of place in, in that era. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it really does. It, I get the fastback. A lot of people were trying to, uh, you know, sort of incorporate that into their builds. Right. Um, but it does look in that era of cars. It looks misplaced. It's, yeah, you're right. I, I agree with that. And, um, if you notice the, the
2: headlights, you know, it, uh, they're all downsized. The grill is downsized. Everything in the car is downsized to, you know, kind of make it look, you know, to scale maybe, but when you stand (laughs) next to it, then you realize how low that car is and how streamlined, you know.
0: Yeah. This guy's standing by it it, there the picture? Oh yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah,
1: He's leaning. He's leaning over. Right. right? Yeah. You know, it's a really low, low, low car. So it's, yeah. Still, you know, when you look at that and you say it's out of place uh, and then what it's got to compete against, it's still pretty incredible. You know, I mean, and this thing was was built and ready to kind of, you know, kick some ass and take names. But uh, as he mentioned, you know, I mean, history kind of forms its own storyline here with uh, what supersedes. Can you, see, so. can you
2: see that? OK. So
1: the roof yeah.
2: of that car, that sedan, right, is lower than a Cobra.
1: Wow, and we all know right? Cobras are, you know, pretty much you climb down into one and climb out and up to get out of one, so.
2: Yeah, and a Cobra with no roof, so yeah. that,
1: that sedan has a yeah. roof on it. All right, and- let's get let's get some more details on this build, yeah. man. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back with Rob Ida on the Two Guys Garage podcast, uh, a little more scoop on the build, what, what SEMA is shaping up like, and then what you think the future trends of the industry are going to shape up like. So. Uh, we'll catch you guys back in just a minute. It goes to Two Guys Garage Podcast, Kevin
0: Bird, Willie B. I'm scared about SEMA this year. I'm scared. We'll talk about it coming up. Uh, see you in just a minute on the Two Guys Garage Podcast. It is the Two Guys Garage Podcast. He is Kevin Bird. I am Willie B. is presented by CarParts.com. And, man, we have got one incredible pair of hands, a, an incredible mind, a guy that looks at a car and sees... More than just a car. I know every car enthusiast, and most people probably listen to this podcast, they, they'll they take a car, they'll say to their significant other, honey, just wait till you see it when I'm done with it. We've all made that pitch. Just let me put some rims and tires, let me get the stance right. Just give me a minute with the car. Now he takes that, Rob Ida, he takes that and goes next level, next level, next level. Next level! There it is. That's, that's right about where Rob lands. It's always great to talk and see some of the stuff he's bringing to the game. So, Rob, um, this uh, this Challenger 3, as I look at the black and white photos, and I hope other people listening to podcasts podcast pull it up, I see a fastback on a on a body of a car that probably shouldn't have a fastback on it. Um, it's uh, it's like a lot of cars in that era. It looks like a skip leg day at the gym, um, and it's a little big in the hip. Uh, but you're going to hopefully have this car. Are you, are you looking for a home at SEMA? Is it something you're, you're trying to get out there and get done in time? And if so, how, how difficult is that right now in this world? Well, I mean, it's not one of
2: these projects that, you know, SEMA was the goal, but um, as I was kind of like involved in a project, I'm thinking, Oh, SEMA's coming up. This would be a great place to have this car. So yeah, yeah, you know, unfortunately the time is short, so I don't know if we're going to actually find a home uh, for this late in the game but I think it would be super cool to have there because I think a lot of people would, would dig it. Um, you know, there's cool things about this car that are all performance uh, related. I would say as far as aesthetics, that was secondary, but definitely performance yeah. was, was primary. Yeah, it's
1: one of those brute force efforts where you're like, you know, take yes. this thing and make it get across that finish line. I don't care what it takes. Right there was no. Uh, <laughs> right. Hey, let's plan this out. Let's go for sexy. Let's add a little of this. Let's, you know, combine it with that. It's like no. Take that blob over there. That that passenger car and kick that Ferrari in the tail. Yeah. You know, and this is what you get. Uh, right. Yeah. But probably a lot of <laughs> yeah, innovation. Yeah, a yeah. lot of just you know grunt brute force and make it happen. Kind of. You know what's cool about it is it when when
2: we look at the suspension, it's it's almost stock looking. You know, because they're using a lot of like factory stamped control arms and things, but the home and moody trick is to change all that geometry. So there's like these little subtle changes. Pivot points are moved, geometry is improved, and that's why the car handles well. They took this like you know kind of a cheap passenger car and they made it so that it run it it, it can run around the track with a Porsche RSK or a or a Ferrari Testarossa. You know, these cars are. On the highest end of performance and 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 expense versus this thing that was really kind of a low buck passenger car.
0: I imagine people's reaction to that car w- was something else. Like when when they showed up with that car, I imagine people around them were like, "What in the? Yeah. Who hit these Ford guys with a clown hammer?" You know. When you see the lineup of cars, it
2: looks so out of place because all these right. like really sexy U Ferraris and, and English cars and, and, and German cars all lined up in a row there. And then there's this box, you
1: know, right? It, yeah. What the hell is that? <laughs> well, it becomes the underdog. Yeah. You know, you almost want to root for it because it's like, well, we know those other guys typically. Yeah, then, right. So, man, I kind of want to see that yeah, guy yeah. take the yeah. flag, yeah. you know? Yeah. So what are some of the innovations in there? Like you talked about, uh, you know, improvements on the suspension, uh, super lightweight, dropping in the V8. Was that 289s that they put in there? Uh,
2: well, at first they ran a real small V8 in it, um, and it did end up with a 289. I'm not exactly sure when in its career that change took place, but now the car's got a 289. Yeah. So.
1: Okay. And this is uh this is an all original one. Are you restoring? Yes. Are you... Customizing, nope. reshaping it all. This is
2: the one and only Challenger Three, so it's the only one that Ford wow. and Holman Moody have done like this, uh, as far as the sectioning and the roof. And this is the original car, so we're we are currently restoring that car back to the way it was raced uh, on its first race day.
0: So it'll have. So this
1: will be a, essentially a museum piece. Yes. When you're a piece of history that we want to hold on to forever. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So. Wow. You
0: know, it, it's it's funny, man, because here you are taking something that you could approach with, I'm going to throw all this technology in it. I'm going to throw all these advances that we've made over the past several decades, but you're doing something 180 degrees opposite of that. You're, you're going back as it was presented back in the 60s, which is always a really cool and kind of you know nostalgic piece. It's something people always appreciate. But if you were to look at where we're going with the technology that's available today – and you know the fact that you can now adapt that and and you know apply that into you know old cars um you know you you built a car you know by hand you could you could just whip up something in the old garage over the weekend and, you know put a, a a turbo ls in it and have a you know a righteous roadster uh the next the next week uh, what do you what do you see us going in this world uh, where do you see the automotive industry where do you see performance? where do you see the next wow factor? I feel like you know, a big wow game was when Hellcat showed up to the scene. Everybody's like, oh, well, we didn't see 707 coming at us. And then everybody played catch up, right? And then now 1,000 is like the new margin or electrics are, are coming in the equation. Where, where do you see things going in the next few years, and next 10 years? Well, I think there's
2: going to be more of a divide in what's going on coming up. And, and the reason being is getting more and more expensive to do these, these types of bills cars are getting very, very expensive and people are starting to look at what it costs to build one versus what they're actually worth on, in the marketplace. And I think that some of the middle of the road type cars may start to fall off and those numbers are gonna, are gonna decrease because people are looking at these things as more of investments. And if, you know, as the, as the, as the marketplace changes, and the uh, workforce also improves now. Back like when I started, there really wasn't any professionally trained people in the hot rod industry. It was pretty much a hobbyist that you know had some experience in one area or the other that decided he wanted to you know get into the hot rod world and start building cars and you know in his garage or whatever. That really is starting to change now. I mean, there's there's trade schools and there there are people that are taking their education seriously and, and trying to. Understand everything about the industry, and um, so we have interns that come into our place, and they'll spend a the summer with us. And, and I understand that they're not doing this so much for the passion of the work like we did. They're doing it more because it's an industry, and they can actually make a living doing this. and And it's a legitimate place to, you know, to to spend your life, you know, building these kind of cars. So they're seeing it from a different perspective, and as, as a shop, you know, we need to understand that, and we need to um, you know be able to provide a place where they can they can do that thing. So we have um, you know interns coming in through the place that we we will you know decide whether or not we want to employ them full time or not. But when we do that, this has to end up with a um, a project that now can pay these types of employees and have this kind of overhead and then also make sense for the customer. So it's become you know, a little bit more of a legitimate, um, I would say, industry than it was a hobby. You know, people still, yes, they build their cars in their garage at home. That's still going to exist. But a lot of guys now want to have a car pro built. And when they do, obviously, the price is much higher than it would be if they were building a car by themselves at
1: home what's kind of the spectrum that you see out there right now as far as because price point is is a huge huge factor so you know it used to be that you you might take your car into a shop and right they're gonna put on a new manifold they're gonna put a new rear end and a transmission or whatever uh, and that's the kind of work Uh, parts and pieces and then of course now you've got cars that can go to you go to chip foos go to other guys and you could spend you know million bucks plus kind of what do you see as the top in Kind of range now. I mean, it's it's going to be a small sliver, but, um, you know, what are some of the highest prices you see some of these cars and you estimate that they've got hours in? Um, Bro, the the highest prices don't have prices. Remember we talked to Ring Brothers, and he
0: said he's got a client that says, I don't care what it costs, just do it. Like, imagine having those type customers, those type people. I'm sure, Rob, has the same thing. You probably have customers, right, high-end guys that, like, I don't care what it costs, just let me know when it's done. Like, those are the best, like, for a shop owner, those
1: those are the best guys to have. Probably not very many, though. You know, like, that's a, that's a home run win. Yeah, I mean, that's every car builder's dream. But from there, you got, you know, maybe a handful out there with thousands of hot rod shops trying to get that guy with that kind of money and then slide down. So where, where do you see the, say, the price point? Because you talked about value, right? What are these things worth at some point? You know, nobody wants to drop half a million bucks on a car and it's worth, you know, 125 the next day. Right. Well, well, we do see that. I mean, when we watch these auctions on TV,
2: we see cars roll across the auction block and they're, you know, and they, they, you know they might bring uh, $350,000. And that seems like a lot of money. But the reality was that car probably cost three times that to build. So that does happen. And and that, that is a real thing. Some people care about it. Some people don't. They just like the uh you know the build process, and I and and the, and being creative, and, and feeding a project that is you know something that they can remember you know for a lifetime, that is a thing, and 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 I I understand that, um, and sure why not? I mean people spend lots of money on things like, like a custom boat, and they don't expect to get their money back when they're done using it. You know, it's a it that's just what it is. It's kind of a uh, you know a a, a personal. Uh, you know, preference on how they want to spend their money. So those things exist and, and that's okay. But other people look at them like they are investments and like, like to get their money back or even make a profit. And that's a, that's a whole different thing. And, and custom cars is, is hard to, to um, you know, kind of predict that. And is that going to happen? Is it possible? Maybe, maybe not um, restorations cars that have kind of a market value I think it's a little bit more predictable and um and that's probably for more of the investment minded consumer, right? So like we have a customer who recently spent 2 million dollars on a car before restoration. So basically the you know the car that he wanted to restore was that much money.
0: He spent 2 million dollars before he restored it? Before restoration, right. Before hey, before that, yeah. Like I'm a before model. Kevin's an after
1: model. <laughs> like
0: um before he spent two million dollars.
1: And neither one of us are worth a dime. Damn. <laughs> you know. Oh. <laughs> two million. Well, before. you know, I'm kind of seeing, I'm kind of seeing, you know, at least in my view, some trends, you know, at the auctions where, uh, you know, restomods weren't really, weren't really worth much, and was all about restorations, as you said, because they have a value to them. Yeah. But it seems like you know the last five years eight years whatever um a lot of resto mods, and i'd say they come in at somewhere i don't know 60 to 150 180 you know they're they're easy it's a whatever call it a first gen camaro it's got an ls in it it's got all the parts in it so it's like bolt on bolt on bolt on some mods a little bit of custom interior boom so it has all the modern stuff in it it's got the old body to it but it doesn't take it to the extreme level of spending you know multiple six figures million dollars uh, and and those seem like I I, I want to think they're gonna hold their value because they're gonna be old cars that people are gonna want to drive because they're still fun right uh, so it seems like that might be a segment it might not be appealing to guys like you that really want to take things to the next level because those are pretty straightforward they're kinda cookie cutter a pro touring car is ordering a bunch of stuff off a catalog fixing up the body in a sort of restoration way, getting the stance, getting the wheels, getting right. the paint job looking right. Yep. Um, so I could see that still from a, a value perspective. A lot of people still want to kind of stay there. Um, I mean, what are your thoughts? I think that
2: that's a really good analysis and, and I agree with you. And I also think that that is the type of product that a shop can deliver with, um, you know, help that can follow a certain direction and build a car that is basically designed already on paper. Um, it once you get into the really abstract and and the and the and the very artistic type of car, that's when things get terribly expensive and difficult to build. Well, so well, hold uh, on,
0: y'all. Y- we're talking to a guy that built every panel on the Tucker uh, by hand. Everything. There only three pieces on that car that were original because i remember that from the picture it's got online so like he builds them and i mean every single thing about him so you're right kevin when you when you're talking about that he's he's definitely a next next sort of level um but i I do see a bigger clientele more consumers in those resto mods because it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around but some of those cars still out there and available you know it's it's weird there's there's still, you know, out there for us to get our hands on. And I feel like anybody that's got a decent, you know, a decent career, a little bit expendable money there can drop, you know, a, a halfway decent chunk of money on it and have them a cool resto modded Gen 1 Camaro, you know, it's still doable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also tinkerable because now we are faced with a whole bunch of new laws and new rules about modifying passenger cars. And and, and uh, mod- modifying cars with emission controls, that is starting to become a serious problem. And if guys want to tinker with cars and people want to have things that they can modify and put their own mark on, the new car may not really be, you know, the canvas that it once was, you know, the blank canvas uh, of, of going in, buying a, a car from a dealership and putting a couple of bolt-ons on it to make it go faster, really may not be an option anymore. So if you want to do that, you need to go to a vintage car where you can actually
0: make that happen and be legal. Okay, we're going to give you a series of cars. So, Kevin, in your head, wrap wrap your mind around four or five cars, right? I, I, I tend to choose some from the muscle car era. That's where I'm going to lean to, but I got one or two um, on the outside the muscle car era. But on a 1 to 10 scale, you give me their value, all right, for future resto mod applications, all right? All right, let's just throw it out there. A 67 Camaro SS big block four speed 12 bolt car on a one to 10 scale. What's its worth as a resto mod now, 10 years down the road? What do you give it as far as resto mod ability? So, you're
2: asking me if I think that car is going to be uh, sought after?
0: I think if it's going to be yeah. worth, yeah, worth big money, sought after as cool as it is today and, and how many years from now what is- it could be 10 could be 20.
2: okay i think it's going to go on a decline and i think what's going to happen is that the um the supra Ooh. is going to become that's
0: hey you're taking one on my product. list that's not fair put yeah. that back that was on my list uh, put that back <laughs> okay So I'm all right all right all right <laughs> kevin your turn <laughs> kevin your turn <laughs> oh man
1: Uh, See, no, I see where you guys are both going, and there's some good points there, because a lot of the early cars, you know, the teens, 20s, you know, they were, you know, owned by our grandfathers and stuff. Uh, They were were huge, and then when they started to die out, right, the next generation that inherited them, their values kind of fell through the floor. Uh, So I'm kind of with Rob, like, it'll be interesting. There's a whole bunch of us that grew up with Gen 1 Camaros, but... You know, fast forward another 20 years. Do the next kids even care about those, right? Um, But I'm going to say 10 years. I'm going to go with 10 years. Camaro stays on top. There's still enough, you know, 40 and ups. That'll be around in 10, maybe 20 years. Uh, But 30, 40 years? Oh, could be a different story.
0: All right, throw a car at Rob. I got my second car. All right? And since you already brought it up, I'm going to go with its its cousin. Skylines, GTRs uh, mid nineties offerings. I own a 93, uh, R33, uh, big skyline, right hand drive stuff. kids go nuts on it, bro. Everywhere I go, it gets more attention. They're probably a muscle car. What do you think? You know, a mid nineties skyline is worth something. You pick up the day for 25,000. Probably if it's not the GTR offering, if it's a GTS.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm not good at, at putting values on it, but I can tell you that the popularity will be there. And I think that that's kind of where the, the, the whole industry is going. And, um, now I remember a time when I was, you know, kind of caught up in the early Ford hot rod mindset, and um, and I did, I did a a design for a Gen One Camaro, and it appeared in a magazine, and and this was like in in the late '90s, I guess, and I caught all kinds of flack for that, like, oh, who would want that, you know, like because it's 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 not an early Ford, You're like, are you losing your mind, you know? And then and then after some time, that became you know acceptable and then loved and now like primary and and i i think that that also kind of happened with air cooled porsches and and i and i saw that i've always loved vw's and i've always loved porsches and air cooled stuff and i started to focus on those cars and i built a few of them and and got into the whole Porsche market and then now i'm seeing that that's become very um kind of mainstream. And I see them around and and hot rod shops that only knew about early Fords are now building air-cooled Porsches too. So I I see that um, there is the acceptance of these other models. And I think next is the early Asian car market. And I think that
1: that's becoming quite popular. And I think that it's got a big future and it's exciting. I like it a lot. I think there's going to be waves of enthusiasm over generations, depending on what Fast and Furious 24 (laughs) You know, yeah, Fast right, and Furious exactly. 68, yeah. you know, like what what cars they put in there because, you know, it, it captures people's imagination. And, and all of a sudden people like find a generation of cars like in their face that they never really were exposed to, you know. So right. there's a there's a lot of wild cards in there on what cool movie, you know, what cool stunt driver Hollywood guy is driving um, Cool movie or cool guy in high school. But either yeah, way, either way, you, you know, like, every, where yeah, and when everybody
2: wants to relive relive their youth of what inspired them when they were a teenager, you know that seems to be how the trend always always goes. And 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 uh, looking back on it, I think you could you could pretty much you know build a schedule on that.
0: I and and my last pitch at you: early eighties, early nineties, or late eighties, early nineties. Fox Body Mustangs.
2: Oh sure, Well, that's already that's already rugged, you know, right? That's already a holy grail. You know, there's 20 years though. Sure. There's the 32 Ford and there's a 55 Chevy and there's the Fox body
0: Mustang. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's great. Yeah. There Mm you go. You're not going to hit him with a BMW question, Kev. (laughs) Uh, I think BMWs and Audis are going to be worth something down the road, man. Those are bad cars nowadays. No doubt. You got to like it. No All doubt. Right, well, look, we got to pick your brain again sometime down the road. It's always great speaking with you, talking to you, uh, getting your feel of the industry as well. Um, you guys, you got to find it. Where do people hit you up on social media? How do they follow the stuff you're doing and what you're building? Uh, easiest way to do that is hit me
2: on Instagram, which is Rob underscore Ida. And, um, and I do have a shop Facebook page, too. It's Ida Automotive. And find us there, and you
0: can pretty much follow along all the projects that are going on in the shop. There you go, man. Hey, don't forget about our show, Aaron Weekends on the Motor show Network. Check your local listings. Episodes also now streaming on demand, which is a great resource to find us. Uh, thanks to our guests, Rob Ida, my
1: man Kevin Bird, I am Willie B, our producer, Scoop, and executive producer, Mr. Bob Ecker. Yeah, and don't forget to check out our website, twoguysgarage.com. Share your thoughts with us. We're on social too: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Two Guys Garage. Now, of course, this Two Guys Garage podcast. It's copyright 2021, Britain Productions Incorporated. All rights reserved. Well, I think there's a, I think there's a whole era coming up of un LS swapping everything. Yes. You yeah. know. Yeah. And, but, Same yeah. thing with throwing a small block Chevy and everything. You know, yeah. it's like, oh, I want a flathead. Yeah. I want go back. Yeah. So we're gonna go. <laughs> we're gonna have an era in like 25 years where everyone's like. All right, let's just grab all those LS swap cars and undo all that stuff and go back old school.
0: (laughs) LS swap the world. LS swap the world.
1: All right, we got to go, you
0: guys. We'll catch you on the next Two Guys Garage podcast. LS swap the world. (laughs) All right, guys. We'll see you
1: next time. Take care. Two Guys Garage podcast is produced by Britain Productions. For more episodes, visit iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.